Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. This week on the podcast, Pastor Will is interviewing me, and we're going to talk about the relationship between law and grace, and the spiritual disciplines. So thank you for joining us as we go deeper. Whenever you're ready. What's up, West Hills and West Hills enthusiast? This is your guest host this week, Pastor Will Duvall, and I'm here with our guest interviewee this week, who is Donnie Clinton. I get to flip the tables on you and flip the script this week, Donnie. How do you feel about that? I am nervous about it because (laughs) Will obviously has more experience in this and has harder questions possibly than I have for him, typically. Uh, I've listened to him, and they're great questions. It's just a lot to, to pick apart. But before we Begin. I just want to say thank you to West Hills for being encouraging on Sunday morning. Uh, this was the 26th of uh, May, and you guys were just so kind and encouraging to me about my first sermon here at the church. And so just thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. But we don't want this podcast to drag on for an eternity, so we're going to go to Will. Let's do it. I second Donnie's uh, encouragement of our church, by the way. Um, people of West Hills are incredibly gracious. I mean, heck, they hired me. So uh, (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with them, but uh, what's wrong with you guys. But anyways, and and to allow not only someone like me, but someone like Donnie around for this long. But uh, yes, they're very gracious. We love our church. Um, And so for the sake of the church, let's have a public discussion that hopefully will be edifying for them and sanctifying for all of us. Uh, Donnie, why don't you start by just giving us a quick reminder and recap of your sermon from Sunday that was entitled Being With Jesus, correct? From Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. What was the sermon all about? Yeah, that was, that was the title. So the Mark 2, 18 through 28 is actually two stories, one about fasting and one about uh, Sabbath law. Um. My, my point in Sunday morning was that the rules about fasting and the rules about the Sabbath law changed because Jesus was coming near to his people. The people, the person, the Messiah, that we have been waiting on for a long, long time is finally here and he's coming to hang out with us. And that changed things for the disciples, it changed things for the Pharisees, and it also changes things for you and I. And we need to be mindful of the change that's happening or should be happening in our lives. So that was kind of the the recap is that when Jesus gets close, <laughs> things change. When Jesus got close to the Samaritan woman, her whole life changed. When he gets close to lepers, they change. When he dines with sinners, like it seems like things change when Jesus is near places. So, And the question that uh, we kind of took away was, what does it mean for God's people to be with Jesus? And at the end, we asked, what does it mean that Jesus is with you? Um, and that was kind of individualized, but that's for the church as a whole. What does it mean that Jesus is with his church? 
So when we cited Galatians 2.20, like, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. So that was kind of the wrap-up, was that Jesus changes things, how does it change for you? That's shorter than the 44-minute sermon. <laughs> Very good. Well, and as someone who was unfortunately unable to be there, hence um, the reason you were preaching for me in the first place. I was sad I missed it, but I'm very blessed to be able to listen to it um, on the podcast uh, on on iTunes just this morning and thought you did a a fantastic job. So let's jump right in and let's dig deeper and uh, unpack this even more. So I've got two or three questions for you, Donnie, that we've already discussed, but now we can do so publicly on the podcast. So my first question is... um, uh, sort of under the the heading umbrella of your your you asked three and answered three questions in your sermon. Why were the Pharisees upset? Why are things different today? And then why is Jesus here? So let me start with the first question: Why were the Pharisees upset? And the answer you gave us is Jesus changes their rules and how people interact with the world. Um, and you encourage us to ask, you know, how as you just said, how have I been changed by Jesus? Um, one of the one of the sort of remarks you made within that um, that question answer uh, that I thought was was interesting, and, and you and I sort of followed up on, and I know we're in agreement about was you know you mentioned there are no rules anymore now there's grace, and uh, you know obviously in the church we have to be uh, careful about um, antinomianism, antinomianism literally meaning um, sort of. Against, against the law ism. <laughs> yeah. Um so so that's sort of a an old, you know, church uh heresy whereby um you know people kind of swing the pendulum so much and, and see law and grace at, as being at, at odds and and pit them against each other and say, Well now, you know, under the new covenant now, you know, it's it's there's no law and um and so we've done a done away with the law. But actually Jesus of course says in Matthew five seventeen I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so, but I, and I know Donnie and I, we agree on this point that, um, you know, we're not antinomians, of course. It's not that, that there aren't any rules. Interestingly, it's that there's, there's a different rule now. There's a different law. And the way Jesus puts it is he says, a new law I give you that you love one another. So I guess my question for you, Donnie, is, um, acknowledging that there's a new law now with Jesus and um, that this new law is that we simply love God and love one another as Jesus re- rephrases it for us. Um, how do we how do we keep Christianity from once again, just like Judaism of the first century had, how do we keep Christianity in the 21st century from digressing all over again into um, yet another sort of form of, of legalism and of works-based righteousness. You know, we can take Jesus's new law to love one another um, to all sorts of extremes and and just like the Pharisees did in, in Jesus's day and pile up and heap up laws of our own on top of that. And all of a sudden we turn around and we become, you know, the, the church in Footloose that, that adds all sorts of other things to, to the gospel and says, well, what it really means to be a Christian is not just to be with Jesus, but to not drink, to not dance, to not have any fun, to da da da. So how do we how do we respect this law that Jesus gives us to love one another and to love Him and and follow that without becoming twenty first century Pharisees and legalists? It's a that's a great question. It's important to know 
that in, in the context of the conversation that we were having on Sunday morning, when I, when I was commenting, there are no laws. Um, I, w- I guess I should have probably drawn it out a bit further. There are no rules that make us holy in God's sight. There, there, you can't have a rule that leads you to sal- salvation. Um, but, there, but there is, in relationship with people, obedience. There, there's a certain freedom that comes from being married in a, in a covenant relationship with your wife. The freedom to delve deeper, um, both emotionally, physically, all those things. Um, and even though you've made the commitment to each other, the motivation by which you live out those things is love. Um, the reason we're obedient to God, the reason we're obedient to Jesus, is because he, he has first loved us and now has chosen us um, to be his people. So the the motivation in the first century seemed to be like we do these rules and then we're loved by God. The the Christian worldview flips the script and says we're first loved by God. He gives us faith by his Holy Spirit. And then uh, once we've experienced this redemption, we, we begin to, to keep rules. We begin to understand the things that Jesus said and do those things as as well as broken sinners can do those things. So, and and that Will actually mentioned in our uh, pre-podcast meeting that that there seems to be like you want you're not going to fast right now, but you're going to fast when I'm not here. That's in Mark two eighteen through twenty two. Jesus even kind of where he's intending grace, where where he's showing grace, like saying I showed up, now things are different. Um, he's actually still instituting rules, but he's instituting rules on the presupposition that like you're his not like these make you mine but that there is a relationship between being obedient to someone you've made a promise to um and doing things for that person out of love um for my significant other i do things for her because i i love her um and also there's the expectation that we honor one another in relationships so while there is some obedience there to like just norms um, largely the reason I would support her and encourage her is because I, I love her. Even when she and I have disagreements and, we, and we're going through tough times, like the dedication to one another is like, I love you and I'm going to be here. Um, so the motivation to, to be obedient, again, is the love that we have for one another. Um, so, but obviously in our broken relationships, that obedience shows our love. But... In Christ, he first loved us on no warrant of our own. So the analogy kind of breaks down. <laughs> but um, did that answer? Yeah. Well, it, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. So you kind of put together there these two. I heard you sort of tie together two things. Um, that Scripture teaches us, first of all, that we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, that Jesus says, if you love me in response to my love for yeah. you, 14, then 15. 14, 15, well, you, you will obey my commandments. And so... Um, I guess you know it, it. You did answer. Are can we get even more practical? Are there are there specific things that we could help West Hillians point to or look for in their own lives that would help them sort of diagnose? Am I obeying Jesus because I oh, yeah. love Him, which I do because He's loved me first? Do I have the the right order here, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to I'm uh, stri- I'm, I'm even thinking right now as we're talking of, of I just typed up our prayer request for the week and of course I'm not going to 
you know, it's a, all anonymous, but I think of a, a prayer request we got, which to me, you know, even our prayers are prime opportunities for discipleship. But I read this prayer request of, of a Westonian this week, and I thought, hmm, that feels to me like you're putting the cart before the horse. That feels to me like yeah. like you are praying that you would strive to do something harder and obey Jesus more, as opposed to your whole thrust of your sermon, which was, hey, you know, it's first and foremost about being with Jesus and our obedience flows out of that. Are there ways that we can help people diagnose, given that we're getting, yeah. even getting these prayer requests that, that, that are causing us as pastors, right as, after as ministers, yeah, to, to <laughs> que- yeah, to question whether or not we're putting the cart before the horse. How, how do we know when we do that as Christians? Yeah, I think in a, in a culture that requires you go 100 miles per hour all the time and being proficient, you often don't have the opportunity to say, I'm going to sit and be still. Psalm 46. The Lord actually encourages his people. He says, be still and know that I am God. And that that's written on cool t-shirts and on pillowcases and on bookcases or whatever, on any teenage Christians, whatever. But um, there's impetus in Scripture and, and found within the Sabbath. Sabbath just means rest. Found within the Sabbath itself where God encourages us to slow down. I, I think the best way to like do an audit of am I doing things out of love is to honestly slow down and reflect on it. How much time do you give yourself to think about if you love Jesus? How much time do you do you give how much time do you make within your family at night around dinner tables to really ask your questions to your kids or wives or husbands or boyfriends or girlfriends about how much really do we love Jesus? And then well, well, Scripture says God is the one who gives us faith, and faith is the thing that helps us love Jesus, because without that faith, we, we can't love him. Like, we're, we're wretched, depraved sinners regardless, but without our faith, we can't love him. Um, and Scripture says, if only God can give faith, then if we if we feel there's something deficient, where I, I don't love him enough, it's like, even praying these really vulnerable, simple prayers, God, help me love you more. And then praying dangerously about things like God give me opportunities to love you more deeply in the context of service God help me love you more by honoring my wife or significant other more um I, th- I think the the biggest thing that kind of catches up the church when it comes to understanding the idea of grace especially within the 21st century is we live in a culture that demands so much of us and saying especially in in West County where there's a lot of really successful, proficient people um, saying to them from the stage, like, you you are free from having to be good enough uh, is, is even, even, even tough and staggering because we have so many business professionals in our congregation. Um, but I, I would say that it took Jesus 40 days in the desert and then scripture follows in many cases. And then he was prepared for his ministry. He was always ready. But um, that there are these huge moments where Jesus spends time praying in, in gardens at night, sweating blood. There's a clear indicative in Scripture that um, people of God, if they want to know God more and do these, like, am I doing things out of love questions and ask them, they have to give themselves space to ask a question. It can't be, well, I'll ask that question while I'm working. No. Set aside time in the morning. Wake up wake up an hour earlier and, and ask how can I better love God? Am I loving God? And and then of course, turn to Scripture. What do people in script who what do people in Scripture 
who love God do? How are they reflected? Um, and even just as simple as going to scriptures that list, like these are character traits of the people of God. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and it was kind of self-control. Um, and then even asking, would someone see my manner, see who I am as someone who follows Jesus? Or e- even just saying, like, am I being transformed by Jesus into his likeness? Mm-hmm. Like, how much are you like Jesus? That's a good question. And that's the question I admitted to you that where Jesus says we're going to go to the prisoners, I ignored a phone call today. <laughs> I mean, not today, but this week from a prisoner dad of mine. Well, last week, that he he called me actually yesterday <laughs> when I was working on something for our service week, um, and I was like, I could ignore this phone call, but then I thought of my own words in the sermon, <laughs> and it was like Jesus says we'll go to prisoners, <laughs> and my dad's textbook, Jesus brought the prisoner to my doorstep. <laughs> yeah. He can call me actually, yeah. so it's like how much, how much if John fourteen fifteen is true, if you love me, I'll do what I, do what I command. Is it true that we're lovingly doing the things that Christ asks of us. And and I think the best way isn't on your own. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. The best way isn't on your own. Have someone hold you accountable. Will hold me accountable. Like, we can call each other on stuff. We're becoming better friends since we've worked here. Um, I have good friends outside of the church who hold me accountable. I have friends out, outside of the country that hold me accountable for who I am um, and who I, who I love and how I'm following Jesus. So you can't do it alone. You do it in contemplative prayer, and you also do it by reading Scripture and understanding the character of God and Jesus in both the New and Old Testament. That's my. That's what I would think is a good audit. Okay, that's really good. So I want to. I want to push in, uh, pick up on a couple of things you said there, and then go deeper. So a couple of things I heard you say. You pointed to the context of the Mark two passage and how Jesus is dealing here specifically with spiritual disciplines, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Specifically with the first century spiritual practices of Sabbath and of fasting. And uh, when I had originally outlined the Gospel of Mark and a preaching calendar for 2019 for us, I had just sort of put in as a title placeholder for this week, and I didn't even know that, that this week I'd be gone and Donnie would be preaching or anything, but I had put in a placeholder title of spiritual disciplines revisited or revised you know and just and that's really just what you unpacked for us donnie is how jesus again flips the script and he and he reinterprets these you know uh first century jewish practices in light of him and and he doesn't again do away with them he just says uh we've got to reinterpret him i'm the lord of the sabbath sabbath wasn't made for man i'm made for uh, or Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he uh, similarly says, you know, he doesn't do away with fasting. He just says, you're going to fast when I'm gone, yeah. when the bride- bridegroom is gone. Which, interestingly, I think part of one of the things we, we could have even noted or should note from the passage is that Jesus assumes there. He's, he doesn't just imply. He assumes and, and makes it really pretty clear that his followers will fast. <laughs> you know, he's not with us anymore. I mean, not... Um, in the flesh, we've got the Holy Spirit, but I think the the implication in what he says there in Mark 2 in the passage is we really should be fasting, and just like he says in Matthew 6 when he's teaching us how to pray in the Lord's prayer and everything, you know, when you pray, pray this way, and he says when you fast, fast this way. All of these things are pointing to the assumption Christians should fast. Christians should, as you said, Donnie, 
take time, take space to step yeah, away and rest. That's called Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Christians should study scripture. They should do it together in community, like you said. You yeah. point us to accountability and community and fellowship. All of these things um, we call in the Christian world spiritual disciplines. And uh, discipline can have a negative connotation sometimes in the 21st century. Um, but, you know, not in the Bible. And uh, the, the author of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines his children because he loves us. And so, likewise, you know, Paul tells us, discipline yourselves for godliness um, it's in, in 1 Timothy. And so, all of this I'm, I'm pulling together to ask you this question, Donnie, is how do we, um, and, and you also made things personal, telling the story about your dad. So let's get personal with spiritual disciplines. So obviously we don't want it to, to digress again into legalism and a set of to-dos. You know, the Christian life cannot just be a, a set of boxes that we check. I've got to fast this many times a week. I've got to yeah. pray this many times a day. I've got to do this, do this, do this, you know, X number of minutes of quiet time. But keeping that balance in check and without digressing into legalism, Donnie, can you just give us a personal example from your life of how you have seen the spiritual disciplines be channels of grace from God in your life that have that have uh, pulled you into deeper intimacy with the Father? So if it's really about being with Jesus, right, that's what you encourage, encourage us to do. How has God used prayer, fasting, Sabbath, scripture, community. How is the Lord's Supper? You even pointed us to that on Sunday when you set up the Lord's Supper and transitioned. You know, this is one of the ways that God has given us to be with him is at the table. Uh, Baptism, we've talked about recently as a church. You know, so all of these, quote, spiritual disciplines or practices, how has God used just any sample of those that you want to point to, or maybe you want to speak specifically to fasting and Sabbath, because those are the two for Mark two that Jesus yeah. points to. How has God used those to draw you closer to Him in your yeah. life? I want to. I'll get to spiritual. I'll get to fasting and Sabbath at the end. But prayer. It's assumed people who believe in Jesus pray. Um, John seventeen is a good example of that. Even the perfect Son of the Lord uh, prayed to God for an extended amount of time. So if we are wanting to be like Jesus, then we, then we pray. We're people who pray. And because it's great communication with God. Somehow, God in his sovereignty has chosen to work in prayer. So faithful people who trust God work, God works pray a lot or should pray a lot. I'm a pathetic prayer. I'm not as good as I could be. Um, yeah. So, and then for scripture reading, there's never a time where the people of God didn't center around God's word. That's just Old Testament. Like, go back to the Ten Commandments. Like, there's always a place for the word of God and, and the people of God. Um, but then for Sabbath, I, I need, I want to tell you, uh, honestly, and in reality, pathetic. I'm, I, I am there. <laughs> I've been in graduate school. No, this is, that's not true. I've been in school for 20 years. <laughs> I'm 26, 20 years straight, uh, four years of my undergraduate, four years in, um, of my graduate degree. I actually told myself at the end of, um, last year, when I had one year left to graduate school, I said, this isn't a time for rest. <laughs> I, I was actually, what I was saying there was like, this isn't a time to obey God's command to rest, <laughs> which is really bad. Um, so, and in my view, and I'm, I am not an incredibly proficient person, 
something had to give if I had to obey God. And that meant maybe not spending as much time on papers. As And I don't regret that. I graduated also. Um, that I prioritize rest. Um, it's even... And I, I know there's really specific import of getting up at 6 a.m. every morning and working for two hours before breakfast. I know people who do that. And they're incredibly great people, and I love them very much. It's not me. Um, but that... It might even, like, taking care of myself as one of God's people might even just mean sleeping in an hour, like waking up at eight or something. Um, or that or that rest has to take on new qualities, where I do love my work at West Hills. Sometimes I ask, Will, can I go work at a coffee shop? Because those, those places make me feel really rest-filled, and because I just really love coffee. Um, the 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 last week of my graduate school one of the things that became my sabbath was like i i made sure there was like a special thing that was going to happen so the tuesday of that last week i saw detective pikachu and endgame in one day <laughs> it, was, it was awesome um but those things are just rest in general the sabbath uh is designed for yeah resting and seeing those things but also having the presupposition or like the 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 motivation that i'm doing these things because God is really cool. Like, and that when God rests, he, he rests to survey his own created order. So when you and I rest, there's an expectation. Like, you rest um, to look at God. There's, there's, there's so much self-care culture in the world, which is really, I have nothing terrible to say about it. But it, but it emphasizes me as the person who's responsible for receiving care. And, and I think actually that's what God intends for the Sabbath to be. But yeah. that the more important thing is that God intends for the Sabbath to be glorifying to him. Mm. So, the, so the rest that you partake in, going to church with your family, uh, praying together after meals, like that, those ideas of rest um, are, are supposed to focus your attention on, on the Lord. So... I actually had to remember and recall, like, that Tuesday that I was seeing two movies in one day, um, I, I actually had took time in between to, to pray a little bit. Thank, thank you, God, for this time and to reflect, even in the movies, about, God, thank you for the last four years of my education. Like, you, are, you have been so glorious to me. Um, so when you Sabbath, understand that Sabbath is rest, supposed to be restful, um, and it's not a question of if you do it, God expects you to rest. So you're, you're, you're free to rest, just so you know. Um, yeah, and so that, that's how I wrap up Sabbath. You're free to rest, but you, in your rest, focus on the Lord. Um, and then fasting. I have, and this is, I don't want this to go around. I'm not, I don't talk about it a super lot. But in the past year and a half, I've lost about 180 pounds. I started fasting. It wasn't all fasting. I started fasting, though as a way to start to lose weight. Then, when it got lower and lower and lower, and I was at a healthier weight, I kept the discipline of fasting, one, well, for a for hundred reasons. One, Jesus did it. It makes me more like Jesus, and I, I want to be more like him. That's what sanctification is. Uh, two, it gives me empathy for people in third world countries and fourth world countries who are starving and, and, and hungry. Ali Keaton, our director of children's ministry, knows these young faces very, very well, and I, I, I feel like I benefit from having the empathy of somebody who doesn't have food. Um, and even so far as like my fasting compels me when someone in front of me can't pay for their groceries, like I know what hunger, oh, I know what hunger feels like. Sorry, that beep was someone at our door. Like, 
I know what hunger feels like. So it's kind of expected that I would help alleviate that hunger. And in the scripture that we saw on Sunday morning, Jesus even says, like, you guys are going to fast when I'm away. Um, fasting as a practice has been around since before the time of Jesus. People did it to... Um, well, Christians do it to remember that man doesn't live on bread alone. Um, people in various cultures did it to be able to make bigger sacrifices to their own gods. Jewish people um, in the Old Testament, you see that people fast when they're mourning. Um, so there's not like we just it's not just we just don't eat. It's like we don't eat because we're motivated to focus on something differently. I have a good friend who has depression and I, I fast when I fast. I fast once a week when I fast. I try and remember him or I try and remember something I have to pray about or something big that's coming up. Just like asking the Lord, not like make sure this is all going to be okay. It's like, God, help me be inspired to have more confidence in you and like taking the focus off of something I see as a very real need, having to eat all the time and putting it on the Lord. Like, Lord, help me make my life more about you and not my own needs and desires. So. All right, Donnie, we're pushing 30 minutes here. Let me ask one last question. I'll give us each one minute or less to answer, okay? You left us with our big picture takeaway question. What does it look like for us to live like Jesus is with me? You encouraged us to, to ask ourselves that as we left. You joked about not having any practical practical application, but then you gave us a couple good examples. You said maybe it's praying with your kids before bed. Maybe it's not being a racist like certain members of my family. Yeah, so you gave us some practical things to point to. Can Let's let's just maybe both each take a minute to answer that question for us personally, practically. So let me ask you, and then I'll ask myself, Donnie, what does it look like for you to live this week specifically as Jesus is with you? What is your life going to look like differently because of Jesus being with you? That's a really good question. This week, I am going on my first solo mission trip. I have a lot of anxiety about flying alone. Um, so this week, it looks like just praying more. God, help me trust you uh, because I am scared of planes. Um, yeah, so that's it. Just like asking God for his help with anxiety is because I'm going to fly uh, for six hours on a flight to Washington and then do it again in a week later. So I just have a lot of anxiety about that and asking God, just help me trust that everything's going to be okay. That's it. How about you, Will? Well, not to mention the fact that you're giving up a week of your life to go serve others. I mean, that's pretty... Oh, crap. <laughs> it's like the thing behind the thing, oh, like the big picture thing is, you know, you're, that's that's part of what it means like if Jesus is really with you. you forgot about the whole service part of the church. Well, yeah, yeah. No, but I think that's a really practical, personal example of you living like Jesus is with you because he is, and because he is, he empowers you to obey him out of obedience and love for him and serve his people. Um, for me, uh, I, I, again, appreciate the, the question. It is a good question. It was your question for us, so Ooh, thank you for it. it. But uh, um, I'll just point to the, the two things we've already uh, seen in the passage for this week and try and make them personal and practical for me. Um, this week, uh, I'm going to fast because... Jesus is not with us in the flesh anymore. And because he, he told us 
that we should as his people when the when the bridegroom leaves. Um, and and of all the reasons, like you said, a hundred reasons to fast. I think another reason we could add to that is in fasting we remember that Jesus is no longer here with us in the body, and that we, and that even as like you said, Matthew four four, we're reminding ourselves that we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. We're also reminding ourselves that you know while the incarnate word is no longer with us in the flesh that uh we cherish him we need him we want him even more than we want food you know and so every time we feel a little twinge of hunger in that 24-hour period or whatever it's going to remind me that i love jesus more than i love food and then uh the second one is sabbath this week i'm going to take a 24-hour period to not check my email to not get on facebook to uh yeah just to be with the lord and his people my family and just rest um, because that, once again, is one of those practical things that people who aren't marked by, you know, uh, ownership of God and being God's people, they're not going to do that, you know. And, and that's not why we do it ultimately as Christians is just to be different or to be countercultural. But I do think that that's part of what you're encouraging us in, in your message to consider. There should be tangible differences between someone who belongs to the Lord and someone who doesn't because Jesus is with us. And so for me, because Jesus is with me this week, uh, I'm going to fast and I'm going to rest. And uh, I encourage you all, maybe maybe it's something different for you. Maybe it's a mission trip. Maybe it's uh, trusting the Lord and your anxiety. Um, maybe it's all sorts of any number of practical personal examples that it could be for you. But I encourage you to take Donnie's good message to heart and uh, not just to heart, but uh, into practice as well and to ask that question and to answer it. So thank you for a great message, Donnie. And um, that's episode 10 of Going Deeper. Thank you for sticking around with us, West Hills. Uh, Be on the lookout for next week when we talk to Allie Keaton about VBS and children's ministry and why churches do children's ministry at all. And pray for Donnie and his pilot this week. (laughs) We'll see you next week.